Welcome to Fig Tree Watchers. Tonight, Derek Gilbert will be joining us live here on Friday Night Prophecy as we discuss the news events of the week and how they relate to Bible prophecy. That's next on the West Coast Gospel Hour. It's going to be a great week, everyone, and you're not going to want to miss this. It is going to be outstanding. Derek Gilbert, author extraordinaire, author of the new book, The Second Coming of Saturn, anchor of 5 and 10 News, co-host of Skywatch TV. He will be joining us shortly. So welcome everyone. Invite your friends, your Aunt Sally, your Aunt Ruth in Rancho Cucamonga. Or maybe it's uh, your brother Dave in Texas. So let your friends and family know it's Friday Night Prophecy. Welcome everyone. And uh, thank you so much for joining. If you're new to this, you can listen to the replay of the broadcast here on Instagram, or you can go to all the major podcast forums, and whether it's Spotify, or Anchor, or Apple iTunes, you can listen to it all right there on the replay. And for resources, you're welcome to go to FigTreeWatchers.com. So thank you for joining us tonight, as it is Friday Night Prophecy. These are the days of Elijah, and uh, we will be getting started in just a minute. Welcome everyone that is joining us. It is so good to have you here. All right, let's uh, believe he has entered the building. I'm going to wave at him and invite him on in. Ladies and gentlemen, I am so happy to bring Derek Gilbert right into... Uh, and uh, there he is. Welcome, Derek. You kids and your technology. <laughs> I, I know, I know. Isn't it amazing that we can actually do this? Yeah, this is uh, a lot different from uh, what I thought broadcasting would be like when I first got into radio 40 years ago. So uh, uh, having to learn to adapt, you can teach old dogs new tricks. Yes, yes, you can. Um, it is absolutely a, a beautiful thing. Thank you so much for joining us. For those of you who are joining us, uh, Derek Gilbert is uh, famous number one for being married to Sharon Gilbert. Yes. Uh, he is also the author of a brand new book, uh, The Second Coming of Saturn. He is the host of 5 and 10 News, which you can actually find on FigTreeWatchers.com. Uh, Derek was kind enough because he is a friend of the program and and. He's becoming a dear friend of mine and a brother in Christ. He was uh, kind enough to arrange that that is embedded into our feed uh, for free. And uh, that is a, a huge deal for us. As you know, we do not take uh, any donations. We do this all out of our own pocket, Io and I do. And uh, my partner, Io, here in ministry, who is not with us tonight because he is ministering to uh, youth at some winter camp. And God bless him for doing that. Uh, he loves to be punished. Uh, so, uh, no, he's doing it for the Lord. That's that's what uh, he's doing tonight. So he will not be joining us. Derek Gilbert uh, graciously uh, 
at my begging and pleading, uh, volunteer to uh, come on and, and join us on this live tonight. So it, it's pretty exciting. And I also want to say he's also the co-host of Skywatch TV and a uh, renowned public speaker, uh, speaks all across the country. Uh, but his most important credential that I have to say is that he is a disciple of Jesus Christ. And uh, we just... I'm, I'm so gracious for that, and, and I'm actually nervous. I want you guys all to know that I'm going to stumble over words tonight um, because I am with someone I admire greatly and have read so many of his books, and um, I'm just, it's an, an honor and a privilege to have you here tonight. Oh, you're, very, you're very kind. It's an honor. Thank you. Well, we're, we always begin with prayer, so would you like to lead us in prayer tonight? Uh, that I would be honored, yes. Father, we thank you for granting us this time together, this um, divine appointment that you've set for us this evening. And we thank you for the technology that makes this possible. And uh, we are grateful that we're still living in a land where we can meet, uh, even through this technology, but uh, meet this way uh, without fear. So, Father, we pray that uh, for this next hour, you would um, guide this conversation. You would grant us clarity of thought and word that uh, what we think, what we say, and of course, as we go from here, what we do would honor and glorify you. We pray for your spirit to guide the words that we speak, that this would be a blessing and an encouragement to those who, uh, who see and hear. And uh, we thank you, Father, for your spirit, which encourages us in the middle of a, a world that is growing darker by, the mo darker by the day. But we know, Father, that you have seen the end from the beginning, and that for your purposes, you have placed us here now at this point in history. Mm -hmm. So we pray that your spirit would uh, reveal to us the purpose you have at this time. We're growing close to the end, Father. So we pray that you help us finish this race with all of our strength. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. 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 Um, I am. Uh, it, it is exactly the time and the season that we pay attention to. For those of you who don't know what a fig tree watcher is, it comes from the scripture, Matthew 24, uh, in which Jesus, uh, in verse 32, talked about the parable. And he said, when you see all these things, know that it is near at the door. Assuredly, I tell you, this generation will by no means pass away till all these things take place. We know as fig tree watchers, we're looking for the signs. We're the watchman on the wall. There's a bumper sticker behind me that says that. Um, we are looking at the signs in the season, and we're paying attention to it. And many of us are going through a grieving process because we are just in a lot of pain because the world is in such a dark place. Uh, and they don't see that Jesus is coming back. But we as believers in Jesus have a hope because we know that Jesus is coming back quickly. And we are preparing our hearts and our minds and our bodies and saying, Lord, we love you with all of our heart, with all of our mind, with all of our strength, with all of our soul. Uh, and we are ready. We're loving your appearance. We are wanting you to return. So that is it. Um, we're going to be talking about the news events this week. So as an expert in this, as the anchor <laughs> of 5 and 10 News, what are the hot topics that you have for us tonight? Well, I understand we have to use a uh, euphemism here for one of the big stories of the week, but uh, I'll, I'll do my best not to slip up. Um, had one of my uh, uh, 
podcast episodes just yanked off of a plaskust the pushpin and uh so we'll, we'll try to uh, be careful about what we we describe here but there's no re- way to really talk about the news of the week the important news of the week without dealing with this particular subject um the last two years have been uh, unlike anything we've seen it was just about this time in fact two years ago that sharon and i began noticing what they at the time were calling a novel uh, 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 coronavirus emerging from China. Sharon's got a degree in molecular biology, so she watches for emerging diseases all over the world. Um, she wrote a book, in fact, back in 2014 that kind of helped lead to our, our role now with Skywatch TV, a book called uh, uh, Ebola and the Fourth Horseman of the Apocalypse. And uh, that kind of explored the prophetic implications of a, a, a pandemic. And little did we you know, suspect that within seven years we would be seeing uh, something like that rolling out. But uh, the question, of course, is whether this disease is as bad as it's been portrayed by the corporate media, the legacy media, uh, those who defend, depend for their support on the, uh, the advertising revenue that comes in large part from those who are profiting from what's mm-hmm. been taking place the last couple of years. Uh, this past week, we saw the uh, publication of some documents from a former DARPA fellow, Okay, a fellow is an associate of this organization. DARPA is the Defense Advanced Research Projects Agency. It's um, sometimes called the Pentagon's brain. They get involved in science fiction-like projects for- Scary stuff. Right, the kind of thing that you'd expect to see in in a movie at some point. Uh, they're, They're probably 20 to 40 years ahead of where we think technology is. Um, a Marine Corps major wrote a, uh, an email to the Inspector General at the Pentagon, the Department of Defense. He was concerned by the, the uh, drive to uh, require the, the pushpin of all military personnel. Uh, this, these documents pr- pu- uh, are still available, I believe, at the front page of the Project Veritas website if your viewers want to check it out and, and read this for themselves. Um, his concern was that uh, the research that led to the current state of affairs around the world was presented to DARPA a couple of years ago, and the uh, military, DARPA, declined to fund the research because they said it was too risky. Uh, this, this type of research was banned under the, uh, in the United States under the Obama administration. It was being done at the University of North Carolina at Chapel Hill. Um, but they understood what, uh, what might happen. This type of research that we're talking about is the kind of thing that needs to be done in a BSL three or four level laboratory. So we're talking really secure, uh, very, um, uh, great attention paid to the types of protocols that need to be in place to keep a, a pathogen from escaping the laboratory. Um, it appears that the laboratory in, uh, in China where this work was done was a BSL-2 laboratory, which is about the uh, level of security that you get when you go to the dentist. Ah, okay. okay. The dental hygienist will wear a mask and she's got gloves and, and she might have a face shield on so that you don't, uh, you know, you're not exchanging fluids. But other than that, uh, there's not a lot of security regarding the type of pathogens that they're dealing with. And so this, Research was um, 
intended apparently to inoculate bats in caves to prevent a coronavirus from escaping from the wild into the human population, which is what led to the SARS outbreaks, the, the deadly SARS outbreaks we've seen over the last 20 years. Uh, SARS in China, MERS in the Middle East, which uh, actually infected camels and spread from camels to humans, believe it or not. DARPA again said, no, you're gonna tinker with this. This is dangerous. We're not gonna, we're gonna, we're not gonna fund it. Uh, well, it was funded. And you can check out uh, Project Veritas website. I don't wanna get too specific here and get no, no, that, that, in trouble. That's good. And, and, uh, and remember everyone, what we're talking about here is the great pushpin narcissism that we've all dealt with for the last two years. Mm -hmm. um, and the language we're using here is on purpose and intentional due to censorship issues. Right. So we wanna make you aware of that. Um, this was a big story, but it wasn't just, it, it was also the tip of the iceberg because we also saw something that took place in England this week, um, there with the prime minister. All of a sudden, what was absolute suddenly was no longer absolute. Yeah. Yeah, a couple of things to the prime minister. I mean, some good news is that the, it appears that uh, the restrictions in the UK are about to be lifted uh, almost completely, which is good news. Um, they've seen the uh, number, the case count from the, the new variant dropping almost as quickly as it went up. And we're seeing it here in the United States, which is really good news, too. Um, it, there's, it's brilliant, but it's kind of gross, but it's brilliant. Uh, researchers have figured out that they can sample wastewater and, and find evidence of the, uh, the, the disease in, in wastewater because that's one of the ways we humans shed viruses by, um, uh, shall we say, excreting solids. So they found that in the Boston area, for example, which is one of the earliest places in the country where this, uh, this new variant took hold, uh, the, the viral load in the wastewater in Boston just, just absolutely exploded way beyond anything we'd seen previously. Mm in the last two years. I mean, the viral load in the Boston's wastewater was like five times greater than at any point previous to this. Wow. And, and yet, and yet we have not seen a corresponding increase in the uh, number of hospitalizations and the number of deaths has actually declined. But uh, that number in Boston now has rolled over and is now dropping like a rock. They're seeing the same thing in New York. Uh, here in Missouri, we're still probably a couple of weeks away from the peak because uh, it didn't get here as quickly. In fact, I was just on the phone with my mother and she said now that they've, they've got three people living in the um, assisted living uh, facility that she's in that have tested positive. Of course, the good news is that this is not as, um, uh, not, not as virulent as the previous strains, but this is something that people who know anything about viruses could have predicted two years ago. In fact, if you go back and look at our old Sci Friday episodes, that Sharon and I produced in February and March of 2020, she was saying, this is what's gonna happen. Coronaviruses will mutate because it's an RNA virus. RNA does not replicate perfectly. It's like a bad Xerox copy. And so it'll mutate. And as it mutates, it'll become more transmissible, but less lethal. And that's exactly what we're seeing. So praise so God for that because it is changing and it's changing and becoming weaker as it, uh, as it becomes more transmissible. So yeah, in that, fact, that you you were actually reported that the head of Pfizer actually said that the new booster shot is really irrelevant to uh, the Omicron variant that is out on the um, pushpin uh, narcissism that is out right. there right now. Right. Um, 
Now, as a CEO of the company, he's still recommending people get it, but that's what a CEO does. You try to boost up your share prices. Uh, and we'll talk about that in just a moment because that's some additional good news, I think, because the people who bet with their uh, livelihoods, bet their money, uh, are, are betting against it continuing very much longer. The other thing in, in the UK, by the way, that is of interest is that the, the Prime Minister Johnson is under fire for lying to Parliament, basically, about the parties that were held at Number 10 Downing Street, which is the Prime Minister's residence, um, when all of the UK was supposed to be under lockdown. And we got friends in England and Scotland who just are, are you know, they, they, it's, it's not as bad as Australia. I just uh, talked to a, a friend in Australia tonight, and um, he says, you know, they're in Western Australia. It's not as bad as elsewhere, but Western Australia is so sparsely populated that you can drive for like, you know, days before you have to cross into another territory. And then that's when you run into the restrictions. Um, but in the UK, uh, people are really, really angry that they've been locked in their homes or told you can't go out unless it's really uh, important and you got to have a passport and this, that, and the other, while their politicians, their elected leaders are getting together every Friday and partying and drinking until the wee hours of the morning and then lying about it. I, one you know, would almost assume you were talking about California with Governor Newsom. <laughs> well, it, there are a lot of elected officials who are guilty of this. We've seen this in San Francisco with Mayor Breed, in Chicago with Mayor Lightfoot, in Washington, D.C. with Mayor Bowser, uh, you know, Governor Newsom, all over the place. You've got elected officials who are doing things that lead us to believe that uh, they don't really think this is as serious as they've Absolutely. been telling us, uh, because this is really about control. It's not really about public health. I think any rational thinking person would come to that conclusion. Although right. we'll talk about in just a minute here, that that's not, we, we've got two separate realities operating side by side here in, in America. Um, so yes, the Pfizer CEO has uh, admitted that the effectiveness of the push pin is not as uh, what they would hope, but you should still go get it anyway. Um, but the, the breakthrough infections are, are everywhere. Even the, the two top aides to uh, Pope Francis this past week were confirmed with, uh, with the virus. And they are fully, um, you know, they're, 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 their cards are fully punched. So, uh, <laughs> but like I said, Wall Street is, is kind of betting against this continuing for very much longer. Um, two of the companies involved in, in developing these uh, experimental serums, um, Moderna and BioNTech, which is uh, the partner of Pfizer, have seen their uh, share prices drop uh, just in the last 30 days, uh, 10 to 15%. And when you look at their, uh, over the, the track record over the last six months, uh, they both dropped by 40% off their highs. So what that says to me is that investors who make a living of putting their money where they think they're going to get the most return are betting against the demand continuing for the pushpin. Um, because all of us have seen now, hey, look, this is, they're telling us now we got to have three and then four. Uh, and the research coming out of Israel now is that the fourth uh, pushpin is not uh, really helping against Omicron. And again, this is something that, uh, you know, not to keep bragging on my wife, but this, uh, and, and she's not a virologist, but she's got an understanding of the basics of uh, how viruses work and how the immune system works, that uh, as Omicron mutated, the shape of the spike protein mutated so drastically that um, whatever immunity was conveyed by the previous push pins, just not working. So yeah, you might get more antibodies by taking another 
uh, but it's an antibody that's against a variant that is no longer circulating. So it's not really doing you any good. And I think people are waking up to this, or at least a lot of people. Well, um, let, me, let me ask you this, because in, in, Matthew, in Matthew 24, Jesus tells us in the, in the very first few minutes of Matthew 24, in the very first few words of it, I'm sorry, he says that we are not to be deceived. He, he warns us, don't be deceived. And, he, and he's really talking about the last days, right? He's really beginning that whole thing with don't be deceived. In fact, the scripture says it so repetitively. Paul says it uh, in regards to the end times. Peter says it in regards to the end times. Don't be deceived. Here we're, we're now coming out of this pushpin uh, extremism that has been going on for the last two years. And yet we're now seeing a, a new pushback that is forming. And that is those who are not pushpinned, those who have not taken the pushpin narcissism, uh, they are now wanting to punish those. So we're now seeing a, a separation of classes. We're seeing uh, that going on. And this week, um, some of the stuff came out is that they want to see 58% of Democrats want to see fines for the, un, uh, for the unpushed pinned. Um, they support confinement, um, requiring uh, temporary to live in designated facilities, uh, concentration camps. Mm -hmm. uh, that's code word for that, designated facilities. Uh, they support government tracking of mm -hmm. unpushed pinned individuals. Mm -hmm. uh, they are 48% of Democrats want to see uh, prison or fines. Um, they want to see job losses. They want to see um, ban on social media for these people. And 29%, and I knew this one was coming, um, now support the taking of children away from unpushed pinned individuals. Yeah. Uh, when we call this push pin narcissism, this is really a, uh, the epitome of it. Wouldn't you agree? Yeah. It, it's a combination of things. Number one is the fear that uh, has been created by the corporate media. Those who get their information from, I, I don't want to use the term mainstream media because there's some conservative media uh, that uh, have more viewership than, say, the New York Times has readers. And it's been that way for a long time. But <clears throat> the, uh, the corporate media has so convinced a segment of the American population that this disease is far more dangerous than it really is, that they are literally living in fear. Mm -hmm. uh, when there, I've seen similar surveys that uh, there's there's a, a, a vast divide between Democrats and Republicans over the impression of how dangerous the disease is. And I'm not diminishing the, the risk of this virus. When it first came out, Sharon and I were very concerned in January and uh, uh, February of, of 2020 because it appeared that what was coming, the, the little bit of information that was coming out of China made it look like this uh, uh, novel coronavirus, as they called it, the, um, uh, I forget the term, but the pneumonia, the, the, the atypical pneumonia uh, was, was far more deadly than what we saw once it actually got over here. But when you started reading the uh, data as it became available and looking at the actual infection fatality rates, showing uh, the infection fatality rate at about one and a half percent, and for children, the infection fatality rate uh, under the age of 11 is, is and, and this is prior to the emergence of Omicron. This is, you know, talking about the Delta and Alpha variants, which were, which were more virulent than Omicron. Um, the infection fatality rate for children 
age 11 and under was like 0.002%. Meaning if a child got it in that age group, on average, they would they have a 99.998% chance of survival, which meant in any given day, the kid had a, a greater risk of drowning than of dying from you know, SARS-CoV-2. So, uh, but when you asked your typical Democrat voter, how dangerous, what's your risk of, um, this is the number that sticks in my mind, what's your risk of having to be hospitalized if you catch COVID-19? And uh, Democrats responded on average, they thought it was about 50%. When in fact, the odds of going to the hospital if you contracted COVID was like 2%. Right, yeah. So in their minds, in their minds, their reaction is rational because they think if you catch it, you've got a 50-50 chance of going to the hospital. And once you go in there, you're going to wind up on an, you know, being intubated on a ventilator and then you die. So they think they're reacting rationally. It's because they, they're not ingesting proper information. And the, the frustration here, Stefan, and, and this is where, you know, Sharon has to kind of pull me back in off the ledge, is, is wanting to just shake the mainstream media you know, by the, by the scruff of the neck and, and just why, because they're the ones who are spreading the misinformation. And yet it's people who are trying to ask rational questions who are being deplatformed. We had a couple of our Sci Friday episodes yanked off of a social media site video platform for saying something we didn't even say, but it's because we mentioned a couple of those key code words in the context of the video as we were asking rational questions. Now, on the other side of the coin, and I think it's only fair to mention this, there is misinformation that has um, quite a bit of misinformation among those who are reluctant to take the, the push pin. And, and I've not been uh, stuck, don't intend to get stuck, uh, neither does Sharon. And, and I think there are really good, valid reasons to be concerned. We have no long-term data because they rushed it out within a year. I mean, traditionally, um, they will be tested for 10 to 15 years before they are approved, five yeah. years if they're really rushing it. And here, yep. these uh, have been pushed out into the public within a year. So there are really good reasons to be concerned, not to mention the fact that this technology that was rushed out within a year has been around for 30 years and had never before been approved even for testing in humans, much less wide-scale distribution. What we're seeing really is a uh, large scale human trial. And there's no control group. There is no placebo group. Because when they were running what was supposed to be the actual trials, as soon as the uh, FDA issued the emergency use authorization, they broke the protocols, notified the people who were getting the placebo, and they all volunteered to take the push pin. So we don't know. We, don't, we have nothing to compare against, except for those of us who refuse to take it. And now, having said that, some of the information from people who are opposed to the pushpin is not good information. It, it's, it will not change your DNA. That's, that's not how RNA works. DNA encodes right. RNA, not the other way around, and so on and so on. I, I think some of that, to be honest, is so over the top that it's put out there to make those of us asking rational questions based on actual science and based on peer reviewed published research that's come out in the last two years, look like idiots. Yeah, you know, we're all 
tarred by that same brush. Um, so, and, and there's a lot of money behind this. You know, I don't want to beat this too, too much and just make this a one issue program. But as Paul wrote, the love of money is a root of all kinds of evil. Absolutely. And we are certainly seeing that play out. The World Economic Forum has grabbed onto this, and this kind of segues into uh, some of the rest of this, this topic. Um, and it was one of the, uh, the, the reasons I wrote the book, The Second Coming of Saturn. We're seeing this globalist push to so frighten uh, the, the world that we will clamor for a global government to take over and protect us. That's really what's behind the survey that you referenced here. This was a, the Rasmussen report put this out this past week where you've got 48% uh, uh, you know, of Democrat voters here in the United States want anyone who questions the, uh, the efficacy of the pushpin <laughs> thrown in jail. Right, just so, for questioning it. Right, because they believe that that threatens their lives and the lives of their children. Yeah. It's like it's like the transhumanist wager, which was uh, the title of a book uh, written by um, and I'm going to forget the gentleman's name. He ran for governor in your state here recently on the transhumanist party. Um, anyway, the transhumanists who want to overcome death through science, they believe that right. those of us who are raising questions about that are condemning them to an unnecessary death. And so they feel they're justified in taking any measures necessary in stopping us from stopping them. Right. Uh, I think yeah. that's what we're seeing here. Well, the World Economic Forum wants to exploit that to justify the creation of a global government, a one world government. Now, as Christians with a biblical a, and a prophetic worldview, we know where that leads. Okay. And we also right. know that the World Economic Forum, once we get past this disease, and I think we're about there now where people are just like, okay, look, <laughs> clearly you politicians aren't taking it seriously. Why should we? Um, and we're just really tired of these mandates that don't really work. Because if okay. they worked, we wouldn't have seen that. Anyway, then they'll move on to the next thing, which is uh, global warming. Okay, so now you just covered something that I want to talk to you about, all right? And that is the World Economic Forum. And, and, and let's move away from, from the pushpin discussion right. for a moment. But let's talk about some of the other aspects of the globalist agenda that are, are a little more safer to talk about tonight um, uh, because we have charted on some dangerous territory here. <laughs> uh, let, let's talk about the, the digital currency for a moment, but we want to really talk about where this is all heading. We know the 40% inflation is at, an, at a 40-year high right now, that this is crazy. Um, we know that like Turkey is suffering from it, that the lira is absolutely worthless, uh, that that some economies around the world are, are are just devastated. There's even news today that broke that the United States government, uh, the uh, the Fed is thinking of adding a digital currency to our economy, mm -hmm. um, which is absolutely insane that this is going there. But this is all pushed by the globalist agenda, which leads me to a question for you from mm -hmm. Revelation. Chapter 17, uh, you're looking at verse 10 and, and uh, 12. If, if you don't mind reading it, I know you have it ready. Yep. Um, Revelation 17, this is a discussion of um, Mystery Babylon and the kings who support her. I'm going to begin at verse 9. This calls for a mind with wisdom 
The seven heads, that's the seven heads of the beast, are seven mountains on which the woman is seated. There are also seven kings, five of whom have fallen. One is, the other has not yet come, and when he does, he must remain only a little while. As for the beast that was and is not, it is an eighth, but it belongs to the seven, and it goes to destruction. And the ten horns that you saw are ten kings who have not yet received royal power, but they are to receive authority as kings for one hour together with the beast. So, um, the beast, so are these the is... corporations of the world? Are these the Amazon, the Google, the metaverse from Facebook that don't have a kingdom, yet they're a king because they have an economic kingdom, right? right. A corporation, that, that's but they really... don't have a kingdom. That, that's a really interesting point. And we, we touched on this earlier, and uh, I, I give you credit for coming up with this um, on your own. There are others who uh, have been studying prophecy a long, long time who reached a similar conclusion. Gary Stearman of Prophecy Watchers, for one. Um, he is one of the most intelligent men that I know, and he recently was on Skywatch TV um, and was discussing this very thing. In fact, it, it's the show, I think, that aired uh, last week on Skywatch TV, if your viewers want to go, maybe two weeks. Anyway, if you want to go to, if your viewers want to go to skywatchtv.com and uh, look at the archives there for the program, you find Gary Stearman talking about the 10 kings without a kingdom. And that's exactly what he proposed, that these are uh, tech oligarchs who wield the power of kings, but uh, don't have a physical geopolitical kingdom. You look at Google. In fact, I was listening to a radio program today. There's a, a researcher out there whose name I'm going to forget entirely. His last name is Epstein. Um, he uh, has been researching the influence of Google for uh, the last nine years and how um, the, the, the search algorithms that they employ can shift the opinions of voters. Now, the people who are far left, far right, if they're already convinced convicted of their ideas it, it that doesn't that doesn't work but it's the people in the middle who decide the elections you know the undecided right. voters and his research has shown that uh, the way they tweak search results can uh, take a 50 50 split on a certain issue and move it to uh, as as far as 80 20 wow most people don't even know that they're being guided in a certain direction because when you think about it, if you um, just in a very simple terms, if you go to a search engines, Google, Bing, Yahoo, whatever, and search for a plumber, if you get 150 results, okay, uh, the ones that appear near the top of the list are the only ones probably that you're going to pay attention to. Right. If you're a plumber and you happen to show up as number 127 on the list of 150, you might as well not even exist as far as the person who is looking for the plumber is concerned. Right, yeah. These search engines, these tech companies shape reality. And this gets back to what we said earlier with the uh, perception of some Americans about the danger of the disease and what should be done about it. They don't realize that they have been pushed in a certain direction. As they search for information, they're getting information that's filtered according to the political worldview of these tech oligarchs. And it's not just the search engines. It's the, uh, the type of entertainment that we're shown, um, the, the news programming that is uh, produced and broadcast. All of that combines together to shape the worldview 
of uh, people out there. And if you don't have a solid foundation on which your worldview is built, and by that I, I mean the Bible, the Word of God, you're liable to be pushed in these directions. I know I was as a young man. Uh, I look at my daughter now and look at her political views and think, okay, now I understand how my dad felt about my political opinions when I was her <laughs> age. <laughs> so, I, I have a 21-year-old that also daughter moves... that I'm, I'm, I'm quite yeah. worried about in that same aspect. Pray for her daily that God's yeah. influence would be in her life. No, um, I'm, I'm the same that. way. But uh, there's time yet. I mean, God was patient with me. I know he'll be patient with her too. And I know she's smart, so she'll be, she'll be fine. But I think that's a really interesting analysis. Um, it's mm -hmm. very possible that that is the correct interpretation, that the 10 horns, these 10 kings who are part of the beast system, the kings that uh, will support the Antichrist, which is what the beast represents, uh, will be uh, oligarchs uh, or the CEOs of these tech companies, those who control the window through which we see the world. Let, now, the let other, me... Let me follow up with a question, because um, I, I know we don't have a lot of time here, and we're almost halfway through. Um, and that is, okay, so they're, they're in charge of these corporations. What we're noticing now is that they seem to be in league with China and Russia, empowering them, causing them to grow, pushing the global currency, the, the Bitcoin and all that. In fact, we just saw that the head of Twitter left Twitter for the sole purpose of pushing Bitcoin, Yeah. right? Well, that he, was his he agenda. Got, he, he got pushed out. It's not clear as to whether he went on his own of his own accord. But, you know, yeah, he's, he's been fascinated with Bitcoin for a long time. Now, I would point out that China has got its own um, ecosystem when it comes to uh, the, the tech world. A lot of the tech companies have been bending their rules as far as uh, privacy to accommodate right. the Chinese Communist Party. But um, China, I think, is wary of allowing any uh, tech, well, any business owner to have too much par uh, power. power. It is all subverted to the power of the party rather Correct. than here in the West where the political parties are doing the will of the uh, tech companies. Uh, uh, yeah, of the tech companies and some of the other corporate, uh, corporate owners. I think you could throw big oil, the banks certainly, and uh, even big pharma in there. Um, so, so yeah, are, they, are they leading us towards war with Russia? Is, is what's happening with the Ukraine, is this part of their agenda to weaken the West? Uh, I think that's a really good question. Um, and I think that's why China has partnered with the World Economic Forum since 1971. But I think China's got its own agenda here. I think that the, uh, the Chinese Communist Party will cut the World Economic Forum loose as soon as it's served its purpose, which is to weaken the West by kneecapping the middle class. They want okay. to destroy the they want to destroy the middle class here in the Western world because we are the ones who are least likely to um, just kind of go along because the government says so. Right. In, in Asian cultures generally, but in China specifically, especially I should say, people trust government and do what government tells them to do. Here in the right. West, you find pockets where that's true. Here in the Ozarks, uh, not so much. Um, not that we're a bunch of radicals, but it's like, look, uh, I don't just don't want government getting in my business. Okay, right. keep keep the roads clean and, and in good shape. You know, we're not about defunding the police, but on the other hand, we don't want the government telling us what our kids are going to be taught if we object to it. I mean, this this idea that's come out into the public uh, here several times here recently, of um, 
public officials and education officials saying, we have to get past this idea that parents have a say in what their children are taught. Like, yeah, that, that wouldn't go around here in the Ozarks, I guarantee you that. Uh, and I think most of middle America, it's that way too. But it, it, isn't that, that interesting because that, that, also, that also goes against scripture, right? Yeah, where where yeah. God says, listen to your fathers, my sons, right? Parents are, parents are to train up their children in the way they should go. Exactly. You know, not the village. But back to your question about Russia, I, I've been trying to figure this out too, and there's been a lot of stories in the news about what's going on with Ukraine. And you know, I wanna say that I sympathize with the people of Ukraine. You look at the, what they call the Holodomor, I, I'm pronouncing it badly, I'm sure, in the 1930s when nine million Ukrainians starved to death under the Soviet Union, under Stalin. So you can understand why Ukraine would have some real hard feelings about um, too much Russian influence inside their country. But that said, um, there is no legitimate national interest for the United States to defend Ukraine militarily. And there are some people who don't like me talking that way because, uh, you know, I'm old enough to remember, uh, you know, duck and cover in the elementary school, you know, the, uh, the radiation shelters right. in case we got into an exchange with the Soviet Union. Uh, you know, we need to stop communism because communism, well, I agree, communism is evil. It is a doctrine of demons, literally. Um, Lieutenant Colonel Bob McGinnis has written an excellent book on this, uh, Give Me Liberty, Not Marxism. And he shows that uh, Karl Marx was literally satanic. <laughs> I mean, he, he was, All he was socialism, not a, communism is. I he mean, was not an atheist. Right. He was, yeah. But having said that, it would be a huge mistake for the United States to go to war with Russia over Ukraine. Ukraine is mm -hmm. Russia's next door neighbor, all right? Russia has made it very clear, I think, uh, Vladimir Putin, his foreign minister, uh, Sergei Lavrov, been very clear, we don't want NATO next door. We don't want NATO in Ukraine. Uh, just, and look, if the shoe were on the other foot and, and suddenly Mexico were to get, in, uh, it, it would uh, sign a mutual defense pact with China we in the United States would have a serious problem with that. I mean, the Monroe Doctrine, President Monroe in the 1820s said basically, okay, look, we'll stay out of Europe. Oh, we've forgotten that part of the Monroe Doctrine. We won't interfere in Europe, but you guys stay out of the Western Hemisphere. You guys come into Latin America or the Caribbean and there'll be some shooting. That's the Monroe Doctrine. President Obama kind of reiterated that during his time in office. And yet, we're insisting that, yeah, you know, not, not letting Ukraine into NATO, where Article 5 of the NATO Charter says that if anybody commits an act of violence against one NATO member, everybody's in. Like, okay, so if Russia decides it's had enough of the instigation from Georgia or Ukraine and we let them in, that means we got to go to war with a nuclear-armed Russia for a country on the other side of the world? Haven't we had enough of that with Iraq and with Syria and with Afghanistan? Yeah. So again, I empathize with the Ukrainians, but this really isn't our fight. Now, why is the corporate media here pushing us in that direction and uh, the neocons, or really it should be neo-libs, since the neocons actually are, you know, were founded by a bunch of ex-Trotskyists here in the United States. They're, they're telling us we need to prepare to go to war with Russia. I mean, they're openly saying this. A former um, 
secretary of uh, a former defense uh, official with Obama. She, she's now a deputy uh, secretary of defense, just wrote an op-ed piece that was published at a news site I watch called Defense One because they talk about issues like this, basically saying we need to prepare for war with Russia. Why? The only thing I can think, Stefan, is this, is that it's a, it's a Hegelian dialectic where you've got this, this conflict between these two major nuclear powers and again, the globalists would come out of this by saying, we can't have anything like this happening. That's why we need a global government to ensure we never have a nuclear war. Okay. The only thing that makes sense to me. Let me bring this back to scripture just for a moment, okay? Um, so Joel Richardson talked uh, a, a long time ago, and he brought up the idea that Gog is actually mentioned in Numbers 24-7. Okay, um, and if you pull out your Septuagint, it, 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 it refers to Agag as Gog, okay? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And he is describing that it is that, that nation of old that is mentioned in the book of Revelation. Um, and he s states that this aligns with and goes with Russia because it, it permeates all the way through to Ezekiel 38 and 39. He, brings a, he brought a very good um, discussion there. Now, he's post-trib. I understand it, and, and I disagree with him on that, but it doesn't mean I can't learn something from the guy on biblical discussions. Um, if Russia is this, is this Russia amassing enough power because maybe it, this is leading to the Antichrist? I don't well, think Putin's the Antichrist, but I think it's leading to this power structure that is coming that's going to invade Israel. Let me say this. Um, Gog is not Russia. Uh, I know that there are those who have taught this for a long, long time. It goes back to about, uh, well, about 100 years in Strong's, um, not Strong's, at the, uh, the Schofield uh, Study Bible. Um, and that's because in Ezekiel 38 uh, and 39, uh, I'm trying to get my electronic Bible here to do what I want it to do. Um, Gog is described as coming from the, the uttermost north. Okay. And when you, I mean, that, that makes sense. You look at a map and you draw a line north and Russia is as far north as you can get. The phrase, though, is Yarkatei uh, Tzaphon in Hebrew, and that's a reference to Mount Tzaphon, which was very well known in Hebrew uh, by the ancient Israelites. Mount Tzaphon is the uh, mountain that was sacred to Baal. That's where his palace right. was located. Yep. Uh, and we know where that is today. It's in, it's in Turkey. Uh, Joel, is even, Joel Richardson has written this in his books that uh, all of the nations mentioned as part of that northern coalition, um, Meshach, Tubal, um, uh, Gomer, uh, Beth Tagarma, uh, they were all in Ezekiel's day located in what is now Turkey. They were all in Anatolia. But uh, the phrase in the uh, Gog of the land of Magog, the chief prince of Meshach and Tubal, um, in uh, older translations, the, the word Rosh was there, uh, the uh, Prince of Rosh, Meshach, and Tubal. And there are those who want to say, okay, Meshach, that's Moscow. Tubal is the city of Tobolsk. And Rosh, well, that must be Russia. Uh, I, I broke that down and, and did some study on that. Uh, other scholars have done the research who can actually understand the ancient languages. But the bottom line is that Rosh in Hebrew means head, chief prince, the head prince of Meshach and Tubal. Again, those were nations well-known in Ezekiel's day in eastern Anatolia, eastern Turkey. 
But even more than that, I think, is the uh, significance of Yarkate Tsefon. That's a supernatural location. It's cosmic north, if you will. Uh, that mountain was so important in Jewish cosmology, theology, that uh, to this day, the word Tsefon is the word for the compass point north. But in every other ancient language, like Hebrew, Semitic language, the word for north was Simal. But in Hebrew, mm. it's Tsefon because it referred to the place that Baal comes from. Correct. Baal's mountain. And all of the enemies who invaded Israel came from the direction of Mount Tsefon because you couldn't cross the desert of Syria. That was suicide. It's uh, inhospitable, to say the least. They would go around uh, and, and come down by way of uh, either through the Beka Valley or by way of Damascus and then down next to Mount Hermon, which also, by the way, was Saphon or north of Israel. It's cosmic north. I think what Ezekiel is pointing to in Ezekiel 38 when he says, okay, you've got this northern coalition coming from the region of that mountain where Baal comes from, uh, Persia, Iran. Okay, you can see them being an enemy of Israel, but Cush, which is Ethiopia, and Put, which is Libya, which isn't even a functioning state right now, it's hard to see how they pose any kind of an, an, a, 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 an existential threat to Israel at any point in the future. But those locations in Ezekiel's day, Persia to the east, Ethiopia to the south, Libya to the west, those were the farthest known uh, countries to Ezekiel's readers back in the day. So what Ezekiel was essentially saying, they're coming from the north, they're coming from the east, they're coming from the south, they're coming from the west. The whole world is coming against Israel in the last days. Yeah. And as we've written, and uh, credit to a scholar by the name of Charles Torrey back in the 1930s, the battle called Armageddon, Har Moed, it's not Har Megiddon, it's not a reference to Megiddo, it's the, uh, the, the Hebrew phrase that means mount of assembly or mount of the congregation, which we see in Isaiah 14, the five I wills for uh, light bringer, son of dawn, or, or Lucifer, if you will. He wants to establish his mount of assembly, his har moed, in the far reaches of the north. Well, that's Yarkate Sephon. That makes a lot of sense because I've always wondered why Peter in First Peter He's bringing up five areas of Turkey. And then Jesus, when he comes and he's in the book of Revelation, he is talking about seven churches within Turkey. Exactly. So Turkey is definitely central to it. Is it a coincidence then that Russia is involved in surrounding Israel right now? Is it a coincidence? Or are they part of that Northern Alliance that's just understood? Well, they're part of the Northern Alliance, but again, we need to remember that Gog of Magog is not a human ruler. And this kind of gets back to your question about Revelation 17. Gog is the Antichrist. Right. Gog is the Antichrist, and Ezekiel's war ends at Armageddon. And uh, we go into that in our book, uh, Giants, Gods, and Dragons, and I, I, Bad Moon Rising. The, um, there are a lot of good reasons to get into it that we don't have enough time to break it down here. But uh, I know there are other scholars who disagree and think that Gog Magog is two separate wars. I disagree. I think it ends because in Ezekiel 39, God says they will know that I am the Holy One in Israel. Again, Joel Richardson and I agree on that. That's the only place in the, in the Old Testament where you see the phrase Holy One in Israel instead of of Israel. God is on the field in Ezekiel 39, just as he is at uh, Armageddon. 
in Revelation 19. So say more. And Gog is the Antichrist. He is the chief or the commander in chief of Satan's army. And uh, that's what's in view here. Gog is wow. a supernatural. Now he's going to inhabit somebody. He's going to, there will be a human ruler inhabited by the spirit of Antichrist, just as uh, say uh, 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 Judas Iscariot was inhabited by Satan when he betrayed Jesus. Right. But uh, what's even stranger. And again, I went in, we went into this in our book, Veneration, um, the army in Ezekiel 39, 11, the travelers, uh, God says he will prepare a place for burial for Gog in the land of Israel, uh, the valley of the travelers east of the sea, and it will block the travelers. Travelers was literally a term that was used by the pagans around ancient Israel right. in the Old Testament period for the spirits of the Rephaim. In other words, Amen. demons. Yeah. yeah, Armageddon will be a zombie apocalypse. Derek, I, we, we are at the end here. <laughs> Um, and I, I told you it was going to go by fast. This was I, I could have spent another three hours with you, honestly. Um, but I do want to give you a moment to talk about your new book, um, The Second Coming of Saturn. Uh, we got about uh, three minutes. Okay. Very quickly, uh, the book is um, based on my uh, analysis and study of this, this entity the Romans called Saturn. I identify him in the book as Shemiyaza, the chief of the watchers who led the rebellion on Mount Hermon in Genesis chapter 6. He was known by many different names throughout history. Enlil to the uh, Sumerians, uh, Asher to the Assyrians, Dagon to the Amorites and the Philistines, El to the Canaanites, Kronos to the Greeks, Baal to the Phoenicians, also Molech. Mm. And uh, I explain why the, um, the high place dedicated to Molech, Milcom, on the Mount of Olives is so significant. When you read carefully the last week of Jesus' life and see that he spent the better part of his time, either on the Mount of Olives or on the Temple Mount, which are just across the valley from one another. Why the Mount of Olives is so significant? It's because it's connected to this entity. Um, he thinks, well, the, the, the key is that I believe that this is the entity who, uh, as king of the Titans, as chief of the Watchers, is the entity who is king over those in the abyss, the one that John called the destroyer, Abaddon or Apollyon. The good news right. is when he gets out, according to Revelation 9, he only gets five months. So um, it'll be a limited time. And all who accepted Jesus Christ are sealed with the seal of God in their foreheads. So even if Joel Richardson is right in his post-trib, and he's wrong about that, we <laughs> love him anyway. But even if he were right, um, we wouldn't be touched because we, by accepting Christ as Lord and Savior, are sealed. Yeah. Amen. Amen. And, and that is the key right there. Listen, I, I want to end this real quickly with the gospel message. Um, we do this. We talk about Bible prophecy because it is an evidence within the scriptures that God's word is true. You see, we're talking about the mark of the beast, 666. Uh, today, we have the technology that is actually demonstrating that the Bible is true. Uh, it is Bill Gates himself has talked about putting it in your right hand, literally a chip uh, in your forehead. Uh, so these things are coming into play now. We're talking about neuroscience from Elon Musk in which it will be in your forehead. So we have this technology that is there and it is finally we're seeing the fulfillment of Bible prophecy. We're seeing uh, Russia, Turkey, Iran surrounding Israel as the Bible said it would happen. We're seeing major events like the Euphrates River drying up. We're seeing all these things coming into play. 
And we want you to know that God's word is true. And if God's word is true, then we can believe and we can trust that Jesus did come in the flesh. He did die for your sins. He did raise from the dead, according to the scriptures. Um, and he is there to provide you with eternal life if you believe uh, and put your trust in Jesus Christ and repent from your sins. So that's why Jesus said, repent and believe in the gospel. What's the gospel message? That Christ came in the flesh to die for you and that God raised him from the dead so that you who believe can have eternal life through Jesus Christ, our Lord. That's why we do this. We Amen. want you to know that there is good news. The world may be full of chaos, but Jesus is coming back and you can put your faith in Jesus and you can put your love towards God and others and live a life that is worthy of the calling that God has placed on your life. So we, we want to invite you, if you are interested in knowing more about Jesus Christ, you can message us here at uh, Fig Tree Watchers. You can uh, go to figtreewatchers.com. You can email us, uh, Io and myself have there. And uh, if you have a question for Jared Gilbert, I will be more than happy to pass it on to him um, and uh, let you know that. Derek, with the last minute, I just want to say thank you so much for coming on to Fig Tree Watchers. We so appreciate it and filling in for Io here on Friday Night Prophecy. I enjoyed it. Thank you very much for asking me, Stefan. It was an honor. It was great joy. Good night, everyone, and God bless you, and follow Jesus.